land trusts kind of accidentally provide asset protection in the fact that nobody knows who the owner is. It makes it a little more difficult to get to them. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on, how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person, but it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with you know the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the best ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend him. I've worked with him before. I'm currently working with him right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take him up on his offer. Get a free coaching session, coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners. Well, I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. I hope you're having a best ever weekend. Happy Saturday. Today is Situation Saturday on the best real estate investing advice ever show. And you know that this is a special segment, a special segment we do on Saturdays and only Saturdays where we talk about a sticky situation that our best ever guest has been in. And it's not only the situation they've been in, but how they overcame that situation with the whole purpose of all this is so that if and when you come across this situation, you're going to think back and be like, oh, wow, I heard on Joe's show that if I come across this situation, then I should do X, Y, Z. That's what this is all about. So um, the sticky situation that we're going to talk about today is fill in the blank. You'll know in one second. I know that was a teaser, but uh, we just got to hold on a second. With us today <laughs> is Randy Hughes. How you doing, Randy? Fine, Joe. Thanks for inviting me. It's a wonderful day. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And if you recognize Randy's name, then that's because you're a loyal Best Ever listener. In episode 128, he was on the show. He gave his best advice ever. And you can go listen to that episode, episode 108, and hear his best advice. So we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about sticky, sticky situation he's been in. A little bit about Randy. He's been investing over 40 years in single-family homes. He's purchased over 200 houses and currently owns about 100. He's based normally in Champaign, Illinois, although he is in sunny California, away from the wintry weather that's happening in Illinois right now. And you can say hi to him, LandTrustMadeSimple.com, and there's a link to that in the show notes page with that being said, Randy, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and then talk about this sticky situation? Sure. I'd be glad to, Joe. Um, yeah, I started uh, buying houses, single family houses uh, when I was in college. I wanted to buy apartment buildings, but it took too much money. And I found that I could get into a small little two bedroom house with, with not much money, uh, taking over a, a loan of, a cur- of the current owner and just cashing them out for the difference. 
And at that point, that was uh, a pretty inexpensive house that just took like $800 to cash him out. And that was my entire life savings. So uh, I knew that I wanted to invest in real estate. I knew I didn't want to keep uh, on the same path as the rest of my family. And that was no education, no entrepreneurship. They all worked for somebody else, had you know just factory jobs. And I knew that was not the life I wanted to live. So I thought the best way out was through investing in real estate and started buying houses and renting them to other students when I was in college. And then uh, after I graduated from college, I owned three houses and I used those houses as collateral for a small office building. And that's what kind of got me going. Started out with a negative net worth. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. He deserted my family when I was 16 years old. And so there was absolutely no help there. Um, and just realized I was going to have to do it on my own. Nobody was going to do it for me. And just kept my nose to the grindstone, just, you know, buying and some, you know, once in a while selling, but mostly buying and holding. It was probably after I had about 15 single family houses in my name personally, that I realized how easy it would be for someone to look up through the public records, what I owned and make me a target for a lawsuit because the more property I acquired, uh, the more apt I was going to be to be sued by somebody for some silly frivolous thing. And so I started investigating ways to hold title to real estate, not in my name. And of course, there are corporations and LLCs and, and trusts, and I ended up using the trusts. I do use corporations and LLCs, but not to own real estate, only to be the beneficiary of trusts. So now fast forward about 35 years, and uh, this was uh, August of about two years ago that I was reading the local recorder's report. I get a report every week on everything that's recorded in my county courthouse. You know, so marriages, divorces, if you buy a house, sell a house, refinance a house, if there's a lien or a judgment filed against you, if the IRS is after you. I know about it, everybody in my county. And I would advise everybody on this call to subscribe to a service like that. It's invaluable information. I was reading that report a couple of August ago, and I all of a sudden recognized a very close name with a judgment against him. And this person, 35 years prior to that August date, uh, and I had purchased a shopping center together. I insisted at that time to put the title of that shopping center in a land trust. And one of the unique features to a land trust is that any liens or judgments against the beneficiary do not attach to the property held in the trust. So here I'm reading this report that my friend, who is still a co-beneficiary, of the trust that owns the shopping center just had a judgment filed against him and recorded in my county for $3.4 million. Now, if we had bought that property and put it in our names personally, I would have been wiped out of my interest in that shopping center immediately because a $3.4 million judgment filed against that shopping center would have more than deleted all the equity in it. But uh, because I was smart enough to use a trust, I just sat back and kind of smiled and thought, well, too bad for him, but at least it didn't kill me. 
And what happened was he left my town in the year 2000, went to Florida, became a big time uh, real estate developer, made millions of dollars until 2008 when the crash occurred. And then he started losing millions of dollars. And one of those losses was with a bank who he owed $3.4 million to. And they not only filed, uh, you know, judgments uh, against him in his county down in Florida, but they came back to where he used to live, assuming that he might own some real estate in that county and filed in my town. Wow, was that a valuable lesson that I learned? I mean, I already knew the value of these trusts, but when it hits that close to home, you really understand the value. The problem is if you go on a deed with somebody else, you are totally responsible. You're taking on all the responsibility of their actions until you're off the deed. And that simply means that if they get divorced, if they die, if they go crazy, if they have a lien or judgment filed against them, you're going to suffer because the, you're both on the title. And so I tell all my students, Joe, don't ever own real estate in your own personal name. There's no benefit to it. There are only disadvantages. There are no advantages. You get all the same tax benefits as the beneficiary of a trust, even though you don't own the property. Technically, the trustee owns the property. So you get all the benefits without the negatives. And that's pretty smart business in my estimation. And I run into people all the time that have these same stories that where they were on the deed with somebody and that somebody did something wrong and it affected their, uh, their ownership of the property. So if there's a lesson to be learned here for your listeners, it's do not own real estate in your personal name. Use a trust, make the beneficiary of your trust an LLC or a corporation if you want additional asset protection. But the, the, the real benefit of these land trusts is they're not recorded anywhere, they're not registered anywhere. So nobody knows who the beneficiary is, unlike an LLC or a corporation, which you can look up online and see who the officers are and who the, uh, the managing members are and that sort of thing. So you live and learn over a lifetime and you hope that you can teach people that are just getting started in the business or maybe been in the business a few years and don't understand this valuable information. I hope that I can get that across to them because there's nothing more depressing than working a lifetime, 35 years to build up equity in a property and have it wiped out because of somebody else's actions. I mean, it's bad enough to have it wiped out because of your own actions, but if somebody else does something that wipes you out, that's really upsetting. So that would be, uh, I think, an important thing for your listeners to learn and study and, and implement because it may save them uh, a, a very depressing day and sometime in their future. Speaking basic scenario, if you buy an investment property and you uh, buy it with, under your name because the lender requires you to purchase it uh, with your name so that they can come back after you if you stop making payments, which is fairly typical. How do you then transfer it to a trust and not trigger the due on sale clause? Let's talk about that. First, you brought up the issue of financing. If you are financing real estate in a, in a lender that's going to qualify that loan in the secondary market using the secondary market guidelines, in other words, the federal government is going to back that loan if it goes into default. They will not let you close directly from the seller to your trust. 
You have to put it into your name per first, and then a few days after that, you can transfer out into your trust. As it relates to your issue, if the property is your personal residence, or I believe less than four units, four or less units, you have the, the federal right to transfer your property into a trust for estate planning purposes without it triggering the due on sale clause. And that follows a law that was passed in 1982 called the Garn St. Germain Act, which guaranteed all Americans the, the right to do that. If it's an investment property, you do not have that right. And so you can approach this two ways. I've gone to many of my lenders uh, over the years and just said, hey, I'm going to put this into a trust for estate planning purposes. Do you care? And I've never had a lender tell me they care. But again, I don't deal with conventional lenders. I don't deal with Bank of America and Chase and all the big boys. Uh, I deal with what I call portfolio lenders, which are regional banks that do not sell the loans in the secondary market, therefore will let me close directly into a trust and never be on the chain of title, which is the smart way of doing this. Got but, it. Uh, so that's one option is just to be upfront and tell them. The other option is to go ahead and transfer it and don't tell them. Uh, the odds are probably 99% that they're never going to find out you made the transfer anyway. 44 years of doing this business, I've only run into one or two people that said that, that they had the loan called. And when that happened, they were given the option of taking the property out of the trust and putting it back into their name. So it wasn't like it was the end of the world. But 99% of the time, it's not going to be realized by the lender. Yeah, I, I still wouldn't want to take those odds on the second option. I wouldn't transfer it if it wasn't approved by the lender, at least me personally. It goes to, it, it reminds me of uh, master leases and how some people um, mention the master lease is such a good strategy. And you know, I, I believe it is as well. I got a 168-unit apartment community via master lease. But I got approval from the lender in writing. They were okay with our group doing the master lease. And a lot of people don't mention that you should get approval from the lender because they can come back and say, I actually don't want this to deal to happen if they didn't know about it. And then that down payment, in my case, it was over a million bucks, could be wiped away and held up in court. But the first part, the portfolio lender, is really interesting that's uh, something that yeah, I'm a huge fan of with portfolio lenders. And best ever listeners, I, I, I know you probably know this, but when we're talking secondary markets and portfolio lenders, basically all the Bank of Americas and Chases, they go to the secondary market and shop your loan. That's why uh, your loan might not actually be serviced by the original uh, company. Whereas a portfolio lender, as the name would indicate, they keep it in their portfolio so that you're able to um, work with them directly and they're able to have more creative terms and more personalized terms for you. Now, their, their rates might be higher, uh, but they are more, um, more amenable to what, whatever your circumstances, like this one, for example. So uh, perhaps we just work directly with a portfolio lender. I'm glad that you mentioned that, uh, and I'm not an expert on this, but I've read a little bit. I'm glad that you mentioned that land trusts do not provide asset protection, right? It's, it's uh, the LLC does that, correct? That's correct. Although it's interesting, the land trusts kind of accidentally provide asset protection in the fact that nobody knows who the owner is. It makes it a little more difficult to get to them. 
And a lot of these uh, contingency fee lawyers don't like any resistance. If they find it's going to be extra work for them to sue you, uh, they'll just go on to the next sucker that hasn't done that layering of his ownership and because it's just too easy to attack somebody that's not using a trust. So they'll just go on to somebody else in most instances. And I had that exact scenario happen to me personally uh, that I can tell on another on another one of these calls when I, we have more time. But the fact that you don't own anything in your name, and so if somebody looks you up in the courthouse records and you don't own anything, makes you less of a target right there because they don't see any hard assets that, that, that you own. And they know there's a difference between suing and collecting and suing and winning. And they want to be able to sue, win, and collect. And that's why they'll do an asset search before they sue you to see if you've got any hard assets they can go after after they sue and win. And quickly tell us story. I think we have time. Will you, will you just tell us what happened to you? Uh, the, 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 other, the second story, you mean? Yeah, yeah the one you just uh, you want just implied would be the word, not inferred. I was yeah. thinking of the Office episode. <laughs> yeah. Let, Remember that? Did let, you watch that Office episode? <laughs> Or no. They were going back and forth. I think that was implied. I think it was inferred. You definitely implied it, not inferred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me boil it down quickly because I know we're limited on time. About 10 years ago, I sold a property that my family lived in. My wife and I and my two daughters lived in. Of course, we didn't own it. It was in trust. Eight months after the closing date, I got a letter from a lawyer saying that uh, they were going to sue me because his client, the buyer, had to replace one of the air conditioners and some flooring in the house and oh, and all the toilets. There were six toilets in this house. He had to replace them all. And if I would just send them $8,000, they wouldn't sue me, which is just ludicrous. I mean, who's responsible for maintenance after closing? So I sent him a letter back and I said, well, you must have mistaken me for the owner. I didn't own it. Did you see my name on the deed? The um, settlement statement, the termite report? Did you see my name on the listing agreement? Did you see my name on anything? I was not the owner. So he sent me a letter back and said, well, my client told me you were the owner, but if you'll tell us who the owner was, we'll agree not to sue you. So I sent him a letter back and I said, you know, I think it was held in something called a land trust. I don't really understand much about him, but I, I wish you luck. I hope you can figure out who owned it. And I never got a letter back. So that's an example of how a land trust is kind of an accidental asset protection device because it threw up some hurdles. And, and I can just hear him talking to his client. Well, Bob, this one's not going to be as easy as the last suckers that we sued. Do you want to you want to write a check for ten grand and we'll figure this out, or do you want to go on to the next sucker? And they decided to go on to the next sucker. Anything else as it relates to this uh, situation Saturday that you want to share with the best ever listeners? Well, yeah, and, and uh, I understand I'm kind of biased here, but uh, the, one of the uh, big advantages to using to not owning real estate in your name is when you're managing property. And you're dealing with tenants. Uh, the last thing you want is a tenant that thinks you own the property. And, and, and I'm not lying to him. I don't own the property. The trust does. But it puts you in a much better negotiating and just a one-on-one -on -one relationship with tenants. Uh, if you're not the owner, you're just a property manager. Then you're just doing what the owner tells you to do. You're just doing your job. You're not making the decision. Somebody else is. And it, it puts you in a much better negotiating light and a much a better relationship with your tenants if you're not the owner. But if they can look up online that you're the owner of the property they're in, they're going to give you a hard time when it comes time to, to raise the rent or, or change the lease terms or whatever you're trying to do. Whereas if you're just the property manager, not the owner, 
then you're just following orders. It's just a great, great technique. Um, I had to give you a prime example here. All this stuff is real life stuff that's happened to me. I have uh, 10 condos in a complex. And a couple of summers ago, we were having the police called out all the time for trouble. And when I investigated, I found that this one lady was always in the middle of the trouble. So we, we surmised that she was the trouble. And so when it came time to renew her lease, I told her we were not going to renew her lease. And she said, why not? And I said, because the owner told me not to. And she said, who's the owner? And I said, well, you know, I can't tell you that. We're the property management company. We're not allowed to divulge who the owners are. So three days later, I get a call from my attorney's secretary who says, say, there's a lady down here demanding to talk to Rick, your attorney. What, should, what do you want us to do with her? She had gone online, found out that the owner of the property was an attorney. At least she thought it was the owner. And marched down to his office, looked him up in the phone book, marched down to his office and demanded to talk to the owner about renewing her lease. And I said, throw her out. And if she won't leave, call the cops. She has no right to talk to him. He was the trustee for me initially, but I had fired him and hired somebody else the day after closing, which is a, a technique that I use a lot. But uh, it just goes to show you how some tenants will go to links to track people down. I had a lady call me uh, last year from Florida. She said, how can I get your land trust home study course fast. And I said, what's the hurry? She said, I've got eight rental properties down here in Florida and, and plus my own house. They're all in my name. And one of my tenants is a man and he's interested in me and I'm not interested in him. And he, I just got a call from one of my tenants saying he showed up at the front door looking for me. And wow, did she finally wake up to the fact that you don't own this stuff in your name because you know, here's a guy stalking her and easily doing it by tracking what she owns in the public records. These are not uh, frivolous issues, Joe. These are important issues. They're safety issues. They're privacy and asset protection issues that, that I try to get across to, to, to real estate investors that haven't had to deal with this stuff before, like I have and many other people have. What, what was that technique that you mentioned that you do often as far as that firing after closing? I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Well, uh, that developed when I had a, a local lender, a portfolio lender that I usually use out-of-state trusts and out-of-state trustees for a lot of reasons. Uh, but my local lender said, well, we're not real comfortable with an out-of-state trustee. Can you find somebody local? And I said, sure. How about my attorney? And they said, oh, we know Rick. Sure, that'd be fine. So I used Rick. Uh, Rick's going to be at the closing table with me anyway. So we're at closing. Everything goes in Rick's name as my trustee and everything gets recorded. And the next day I fired Rick and hire a new trustee out of state where I wanted him to be to begin with. And there's nothing illegal, immoral or fattening about doing that. You can hire and fire trustees every day, all day, if that makes you happy. It's very easy to do. Huh. Very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing your situations. I'll do plural because you yeah. talk through a handful of situations and clearly all with one underlying theme with the land trust. This go around, it helped crystallize things a lot more for myself and kind of how to approach land trusts and the benefits and some of the things that you've also got to take into consideration if you, you're going to be implementing them. So really appreciate you sharing some time with us on a Saturday and sharing these stories. I hope you have a best ever weekend and talk to you soon. 
Thanks, Joe. Goodbye. One challenge you might be coming across in your real estate endeavors is finding the funding for your deals. And if so, then there's a creative funding workshop in Nashville, Tennessee, March 4th and 5th, hosted by not one, but two previous best ever guests, Sharon Vornholt and Bill Walston. You can check out more information at LouisvilleGalsRealEstateBlog.com forward slash creative finance. That's LouisvilleGalsRealEstateBlog.com forward slash creative finance. Did you achieve all your real estate goals in 2015? Well, if you did, congratulations. Fist bump to you. If you didn't, then go to CoachWithTrevor.com. Trevor McGregor is my business coach, my real estate coach. He's also been a guest on the show, episode 320. He is offering a free coaching session for the best ever listeners. Just go to coachwithtrevor.com and it'll help you to achieve your real estate goals in 2016.